This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Halftime Show Podcast. Oh, he loves the fire and what a goal! This is the Halftime Show with Umar Adouri on Pulse 95. Nice strike! Oh, better than nice! Wonderful! Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Salam and welcome to the Halftime Show with Omar Alduri. I'm your host covering everything sport, international, local. Hope you're having a blessed day wherever you're tuned in around the world, whether it's 95FM, Pulse95Radio.com, our app, Sharjah Broadcasting Authority, or even if you're in the comfort of your very own home listening to us on the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. The Halftime Show is about to kick off. And coming up on today's show, now it's an absolute pleasure to have this next guest on. She's played elite football in the U.S., has a master's degree, currently plays for the Pakistan national football team and a beautiful human being. We're discussing her challenges, playing professional football, being number two, which made her grow more than being number one. And we're talking about sports rivalries and coaching all around the world. Maria Khan has taken over the halftime show today on the only place to be at three, the halftime show on Pulse 95. This is the halftime show. Omar Adouri. Oh, he loves the fire then. What a goal! This is the halftime show with Umar Adouri on Pulse 95. Nice strike! Oh, better than nice! It sure is that time. It's the Halftime Show with Omar Duri. I'm your host covering everything sport, international, local. This is the home edition brought to you from our homes. Why? Because the show must go on. This next guest needs no introduction. Maria Khan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Omar. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm good, thank you. It was very formal, but we'll find out more later. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we first start... First time, first time. <laughs> yeah, now before we start, I have to say that Maria and I are quite close. For those that don't know, if you told me I'd be bringing my wife on the halftime show during COVID-19, I would not have expected it. But seeing as she's more popular than me, we're calling this The Takeover. Maria, for those that don't know, your sports career started in the U.S., Talk to me about the experience. And firstly, how old were you when you started? Um, so yeah, so first I was uh, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, um, which is one of many states in the US. And, you know, growing up, I started playing soccer probably at the age of five or six. And, you know, that's something that I've looking back on it, I've learned to actually really appreciate um, about the opportunities that I had. You know, like I, at the age of six or five, you know, I had the choices of, you know, do I want to play soccer? Do I want to play basketball? Do I want to play tennis? You know, there were so many opportunities and so many options for me at such a young age. Um, So yeah, so I started playing really young, you know, it started off like really recreational, you know, just playing at, at lunchtime at recess with the boys, running around in the yard, um, scoring goals against a, a, a wooden log um, that was laid down on the ground, which, you know, if you, if you touch that with the ball, it's a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from there, you know, it just kind of sparked an interest and ended up leading to a passion of mine. Um, 
which is developing youth and underprivileged youth, especially in this region. Well, speaking of support system now, shout out to Subi, who's tuned in all the way from Denver. (laughs) Your mother was very supportive. How vital was that support at that age? Yeah, I mean, it was was key because at that age, you know, you don't have the luxury of being able to drive yourself to practice or to games. And, you know, having my mom drop me off at every single practice, pick me up from every single practice and, you know, actually show up at every single game, you know, and keep in mind, she had two other kids, you know, my brother playing basketball and football and my sister playing volleyball and soccer. So, you know, she, her time was spread very thin, but she made it work. And, you know, she was really encouraging being Pakistani and being Muslim in the U.S., uh, playing sports as a, as a woman was you know, a challenge in itself, but having... Let's talk about, let's talk about that. Being originally from Pakistan, yeah. how was it breaking yeah. that stigma of women not competing? I mean, it, 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 it was challenging because again, you know, when, when you move your entire family, so I was born and raised there, but my brother um, was actually born and raised in Pakistan. And then after he was born, my family moved to the US. So, you know, my family was still very in tune and very... Um, in line with their cultural and with their religious beliefs. So for us, you know, there was always that challenge of, as kids, there was always that challenge of, okay, you know, this is what's happening at home. You know, this is my religion, this is my culture. Um, But this is, you know, I see girls playing um, in shorts and short sleeves. And, you know, that's something that was very challenging for my family to accept. You know, being a girl um, with these set of, you know, religious and cultural beliefs, wanting to play a sport. But in the end, you know, once my parents saw that, you know, it was, I, I was keeping my grades up. I was, you know, learning good leadership skills. I was learning how to be a good teammate, a good friend and a good person. You know, they really valued what sport taught me and it actually helped raise me. Um, and, and, but again, and with that, sorry, and with that, yeah. when you said it helped you help raise you, how so? Yeah. How did it help raise you? I mean, I think the most important part is, you know, it taught me to think of more than just myself, especially in a team sport. I never played uh, an individual sport. You know, all my all my sporting experience has been within a team setting. Although and your grandfather is the squash legend. Yeah. <laughs> Khan. It is, you know. I know, and he, Grandpa would always give me a hard time, you know, you know, you should have picked up a squash racket. Um, unfortunately, squash wasn't really popular uh, where I was growing up, so access to it was pretty tough. But yeah, going back to, you know, how sport helped raise me, it, it taught me to be a good teammate. It taught me to, you know, to understand that, you know, there are things bigger than you and yourself and, you know, your selfish goals out there. And at the end of the day, you know, what matters is, you know, how you work together as a team. So, and I think that's something that was really a turning point for me when I was playing college ball or university soccer, which is a really big deal in the U.S. Um, And I was, you know, benched my entire first season and, you know, even the seasons after that, you know, being number two, it it taught you a lot. And with how sports has evolved, particularly in women's football now, do you think it would have been a different experience had you been reliving that now? I think, to be honest, I think in the U.S., it's 
it's been the same, you know, it's, it's for women, for young girls, it's always been a competitive environment. You know, as I mentioned earlier, like there was always those opportunities to play, you know, whenever you wanted, however long you wanted, um, whatever sport you wanted. And so I think actually moving outside of the U.S. and, you know, moving and playing in different parts of the world, it really made me appreciate that, you know, the U.S. has these systems in place for youth and especially girls at such a young age, which I think shows, you know, when you look at the professional and like the world's in the in the world stage with FIFA, you know, the women's national team performs at such a high level. And that's because there's so much opportunity and so many resources available to girls at such a young age. Absolutely. Coming up next, we talk to Maria about sports rivalry and what makes a sports rivalry spicy. On the only place to be at three, the Halftime Show on Pulse95. This is the Halftime Show with Omar Adouri. Oh, he loves to fire that. What a goal! This is the Halftime Show with Omar Adouri on Pulse95. Nice strike! Welcome back to the Halftime Show with the Al Duris. That's right. You heard it right. The Al Duris. <laughs> Every day we bring to you the Halftime Show with both Al Duris. And Maria joins the show today in the home edition as we're welcoming you to our home on radio. Maria, you've played at elite level uh, in football. Tell me, what is a sports rivalry in sports in the U.S.? Oh, man. A sports rivalry. It's, you know, it's something we always look forward to i think any athlete um whether you're playing it watching it coaching it you know you just look forward to it i think a sports rivalry to me is where there's two teams that just have so much history um between each other that really makes them thrive when they do play against each other so it's something that's rooted with you know history whether it's political whether it's you know this team has had the two best players in the world for or the two best players, you know, in the conference or um, in the state competing against each other for four or five years, you know, that can create a rivalry. Um, I think there's so much that goes into it. And I think it's something that everyone looks forward to, you know, when two teams that just hate each other are playing, are going to go against each other. And I think we see it on the professional stage. You see it at the collegiate level. Um, and you even see it at the amateur and recreational level as well. And to what point does it become a rivalry in your opinion? You mentioned four or five years. Is it, is it time? Is it the team? Is it the history? When does it become a rivalry? I think for, uh, so I'll speak for me, like my experience in the U.S., um, you know, at different stages of my playing career, you know, there were different rivalries. So, you know, when I was playing club level, Soccer. Sorry, I'm going to call it soccer, Omar. Mm. <laughs> it's, a, it's something that we always talk about, but I guess for our guests, we'll refer to it as football. So when I was playing football at the club level, you know, you play with these girls and you're playing against these girls from when you were younger in the same state. You know, it's the same girls playing throughout year after year after year. And so when I was Growing up, you know, we were always the team I was on. We would always play against the same group of girls from the ages of seven all the way up until 18. So you and grew so, together as a rivalry. 
Exactly. We grew together. You know, we we saw different players peak at different times. You know, there were those girls who started off super fast and, you know, much stronger, faster and better than us. But then, you know, as time grew and as we grew up and, you know, we started training more, we ended up catching up to those girls. And so at the end, later part of and towards the end of our club playing careers, you know, that rivalry was so deep that, you know, it's like, okay, well, I want to win the last state title. Um, I want to, you know, make sure that we're the ones representing the state of Colorado in in our tournaments. And so it's, it's again, it's something I think that has a lot of a rivalry, something that has a lot of history behind it. Absolutely. And what a lot of people don't know, especially here in Sharjah and the UAE, is that you weren't always first pick. And I also <laughs> believe you can have healthy rivalries within your team. Talk to me about what Absolutely. that taught you. Yeah, so I think I touched on it a little before, but, you know, when, when you are given a scholarship to play for a university in the U.S. Um, at the Division One level, which is the highest level that anyone, that a college student or university student can play at, um, you know, there's this level of expectation. So when you go to trade preseason practice on that first day and you're meeting these girls and, you know, you guys are put into a, a t- your team from so many different parts of the country, it's, you know, everyone is the best from where they're at. So when everyone's the best from where they're at, you know, you have that certain mentality of like, oh yeah, you know, like I can't wait to play, can't wait to start as a, as a first year. But then reality hits you and it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, everyone, because everyone is the best from where they're at, it's such a competitive environment. And me going in as a goalkeeper, my first year, there was also another first year goalkeeper that came in at the same time as me. And, you know, she, was just playing out better than me. And I sat the bench for a large part of my university career. But again, because sport has taught me, you know, that, you know, what the performance of the team and how the team does, it's bigger than you, you know, it's bigger than me. Oh, wanting to play and, you know, be the star um, as we all were growing up. It's, I want, her to do good. I want her to do the best she can because if she does good, then I do good. The team does good. Yeah. Um, I think what was her having, name, by the way? It was Lara. Lara yeah. Campbell. Uh, shout out to Lara, one of the, the best leaders and one of the best players that, uh, goalkeepers that I've trained with, uh, had the privilege to train with and be a teammate to. See, it takes a, quite a level of strength mentally to be able yeah. to adapt to what you just said. For those that don't know, uh, Maria is an outstanding footballer, not just because she's my wife, but as an athlete, she's an outstanding Stop footballer. It, yeah, Stop keep going. it, Keep um, going, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's an outstanding footballer <laughs> and probably not someone that you would see on the bench much, especially not now. Her involvement and her development has been incredible and she now plays in a different position entirely. But what this experience with Lara actually um, teaches you is it takes a, a certain... Uh, mental strength to be able to have that that attitude to to see the team first before the player Um, if you could do things differently um, especially in your sports career particularly the start what would you have done differently oh man (laughs) if i'm being honest it would have um at a younger age you know when you start to see yourself um performing a lot 
better and at a higher level than you know the rest of your peers i think for me it would have been to leave my ego at the door at a younger age um, rather than waiting until university and being benched my first year to have that reality check um, because and being benched and you know being number two for a large part of my playing career um, at a high level it taught me the how, the importance of working hard um, and putting in the the effort every single practice every single off season um, every single you know summer vacation just not taking the time off so if I would have had that work ethic um, at a younger age that's something that I think would have benefited me you know when I got to the peak of you know my the competition that I or the level I was playing at um, so the advice to those out there you know leave your egos at the door. 100%. Coming up next, we talk more about sports rivalries on the only place to be at three, the halftime show on Pulse 95. This is the halftime show with Omar Maduri on Pulse 95. Oh, he loves the fire and what a goal! This is the halftime show with Umar Maduri on Pulse 95. Nice strike. Salam and welcome back to the Halftime Show with the Alduris. This is the home edition. Hope everyone is safe at home and blessed. Shout out to everyone listening. Emily, Aisha, Sarah, Tawfiq, uh, Abu, and of course, Subi, Bana, Osama, Amy, Sami, Vicky, Divya, Zaki, Murad, Safura, Nadwa, Raha, Dana, Leon FC, the RBO family, DU, University, and everyone who's, who's been supporting us. Um, shout out to everyone there who's listening. And now, Maria, talk to me about famous sports rivalries. What comes to mind for you? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think staying on like the college wavelength, the university wavelength um, in the U.S., something that, you know, everybody in the country looks forward to is what we call March Madness. Okay, which, what's March Madness? Yeah, so March Madness is basically an entire month dedicated to college basketball or NCAA basketball and it's where the entire country the teams that have qualified for the tournament are put into this bracket we call it and it's every probably three four times a week there are games being played until we get to the final four um and it's just an amazing tournament it's an amazing atmosphere the entire country has eyes on these kids you know like 18 year olds 18 year olds 19 year olds you know that are playing at such a high level with the entire you know nation watching them and i think in that environment like there's so many different sports rivalries that take place and it's it's just been such a joy you know to experience that and you know one of the rivalries that sticks out to me that isn't necessarily just in march madness because these two teams are actually in the same conference um is the university of north carolina and duke university and this is probably i'm this is probably one of like the long most ongoing or longest uh sports rivalries that i know of um and it's just it's always these kids that understand how important it is to win that game. You know, it's like you're, it's like similar to you know the El Clasico with uh, versus Barcelona. Exactly. 
And when it comes down to the youth, do these universities yeah. only recruit the best because they know that there's a huge rivalry in that season? But, and see, I think it's actually the opposite. It's because players like the youth, you know, when you're in high school and you're looking to, you know, go on to that next level, these kids want to go to these schools because they do have the best programs. And because they have these programs, you know, the best kids are going to these schools. So it's the um, structure that's in place that develops those exactly. kids rather than going to the university because the university is a big name. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, when you think about it, like, you know, we've spoken about it before where it's like, you see that, you know, at university, when you went to go visit Denver, you know, oh, yeah. the University of Denver, and you met some of my old teammates, you know, the, you saw the resources that we just had, you saw the facilities that we had, and we weren't even a big time school. Yeah, we were a division one school. But, you know, if you look at, you know, University of North Carolina, you look at Duke University, you look at University of Southern California, UCLA, like these universities and their facilities and their resources, the kids in the in the country that are looking to play at the next level, they want to go to these schools because of the opportunity and the resources and the access to these facilities. And you know, I, I gotta say that the, the talent and the skill level I mean, you said to me, we can share this with with everyone. You said to me, you know, come down, we'll have a little kickabout with some friends. Yeah. And, and, and I was like, okay, cool. So we, we went down to the university, albeit, you know, over a fence, which is you know, never a wrong thing when you're trying to compete in sport and, and have some fun. We went over the fence and then we got some footballs together. It was three on three, um, but it wasn't a kickabout how, what we call a kickabout. In London, we say we're going to go kick about maybe a couple of crosses, you know, a few shots. Yeah. This was <laughs> yep. like a full on, you know, game <laughs> where they said, Omar, you can play Joker, which basically means you play for both teams when you're in possession. And so I, I was very impressed with the level. I thought I thought the level was very good. Some of them said they hadn't played for a while, but you can tell the touch. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Nikki yeah. is one of them who's an outstanding footballer. If she's listening in, I'm sure. Um, congratulations on her marriage as well. I'm sure she uh, she will appreciate that. You know, all those years ago when she's playing at the highest level, when you come back, you still have that touch, and I think that was outstanding to see from something that you could, you said to me. You know what? It's a, it's not the biggest university, but the quality's there. Absolutely. And that's what makes, I think that's what goes into a rivalry at the end of the day. It's, you know, having quality players that make for an entertaining game, regardless of what sport it is. Absolutely. Coming up next, we talk about coaching with Maria being a great footballer. And could we see her possibly coaching in the future? We talk about coaching and the different coaching styles she's encountered in her footballing career on the only place to be at three, the halftime show on Pulse 95. is the halftime show with Omar Adouri. Oh, he loves to fire that what a goal! This is the halftime show with Omar Adouri on Pulse 95. Nice strike! Oh, better than nice! Wonderful! 
welcome back to the halftime show with the Alduris. It's not every day you get that intro, but listen, Miss Alduri <laughs> is introducing the halftime show on Pulse 95. And what a show it's been so far. We've discussed uh, Maria's career as an elite footballer in the US growing up in a very competitive environment. We also spoke about sports rivalries, including one with her own teammate, which helped her develop. And now we're talking about coaching. Now, Maria, you've You've been exposed to a lot of coaches uh, around the world. What are the qualities of an exceptional coach? I mean, I live with one of the best coaches I've ever come across. Stop it. Keep going. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, I think it's something that to answer your question, like what I believe, you know, makes a good coach is their ability to identify talent and not the best player um, and develop that talent to become the best player. And I think, again, apart from, you know, our relationship and, you know, us being married, I think that is something that I have witnessed you do. You know, I've witnessed you identify a player and in my head, when you'd be like, you know, that player's got it, I'd be like, are you sure? You know, because I don't think so. And all they needed was probably two to three months with you. And that player becomes one of the best players in the league. And I think that's something for me, being able to witness that. And I think that's what separates good coaches from great coaches, um, is that ability to develop an identifiable talent. And for those that don't know, actually, before we got married, Maria was playing in the same league that I was coaching at in different teams. And um, and so a lot of the times I, I didn't have, let's say, the biggest players, but I was fortunate enough to work with some exceptional, exceptional, uh, talented uh, females and athletes. And I emphasize the word on athletes because I've always said to myself that, you know, we can't treat them like they're female or male. We got to treat them under the same umbrella, which is athletic. And that's how kind of Maria and I met in the first place because she thought I was a bit crazy. Well, I am crazy, but she thought I was a bit crazy in, in the philosophy of, you know, not, there's a very thin line between, you know, um, coaching someone, developing someone and patronizing someone because of their gender or because of their age or their race or wherever they're from. And, uh, and I've never had that. And I've been very, very lucky to work with some incredible players and whoever is listening that has, um, has been under that umbrella, you know, I'm very, very grateful because I've learned a lot as a coach. You recently, Maria, have, let's say, put your coaching hat on because we, <laughs> I've uh, tried. <laughs> We've been been coaching and we've been uh, training people every Saturday and Tuesday at 5 p.m. UAE time. Before the lockdown, we were doing uh, classes at Transform. And then after that, because, you know, we're appreciating, respecting, you know, the rules here in the UAE, we've been teaching classes on Instagram twice a week. What has these classes taught you? Oh man, it's, it's taught me a lot and I, it definitely, you know, makes me more grateful for the coaches I've had, um, during my time as a soccer player, footballer. Um, it's taught me that not, of course, you know, it's something that is so noticeable and it should be something that like is completely known is that, you know, not everyone has the same athletic ability um when it comes to training or when it comes to playing but it's it is as a player you think oh if i can do it anyone can do it but as a coach it's you know being able to tailor 
movements and tailor um, exercises to fit the ability of that person. And I think that's something that I've had to realize is like, oh, not everyone can do a pike um, exercise or not everyone is comfortable on the TRX. And I think that's something you've taught me is, you know, being able to adapt your coaching style to the talent and the ability that's in front of you. Um, and which definitely takes a lot of patience, which I'm working on. <laughs> and I think, you know, you are uh, the yin to my yang because you have the patience that I definitely don't have right now. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and how does it feel like to be on the other side? You know, normally you're the athlete. I mean, you still are an athlete, but normally you're yeah. the athlete that gets the attention. How does it feel like now to be giving the attention and in correcting and speaking to people and being patient? How, how has that been as an experience for you? You know, it's it's something that you've always spoke about, you know, when when we speak about your career and your profession and you say, you know, you genuinely just enjoy helping people. I think I finally see it now because when you have an exercise that somebody can't do um, when they first start training and then when you look at them three weeks from the time they started and they've been able to master the move or improve the movement, you know, it's rewarding for you as a coach. Um, being able to see people develop and, you know, improve in their, in their abilities is so rewarding. And it's something that I think I took for granted before. And now I, I get it and I get where you're coming from and the, the world needs more good coaches. Could we possibly see you once? I mean, because your football career is not over. Let's just emphasize that you still play for the national team of Pakistan. Um, I think there's going to be a bigger role for you, inshallah, eventually there. But could we possibly see you shifting over to to coaching the new generation of, of footballers? Oh, man, that's a good question. I think for the time being, I'm going to leave that to you, coach. <laughs> I'm going to leave that to you. <laughs> and that is full time on the halftime show. Remember, guys, in the current time to stay safe and at home, this time will pass, inshallah. You can work out with us on Instagram at Omar Duri every Saturday and Tuesday at 5 p.m., where Maria will be right by my side as always. And I'm very fortunate to have that. And you can catch the halftime show every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday at 3 p.m. And if you do miss it, you can find the podcast music and commercial free on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Just type in the Halftime Show with Omar Duri and we are there. We cover some incredible guests highlighting topics such as mental health, sports and conditioning, and how to rewire the brain. That's full time, guys. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Have an incredible day and stay tuned for more because coming up next is the Afternoon Karak with dynamic, dy dynamic duo Mikael Atiyah mm -hmm. and Aisha Al-Mazmi. You can hear Maria chuckling in the background. Maria, any <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks pleasure. for trusting me on the show. I'll see you in about five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to come downstairs. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you very much. And stay tuned for more on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday from 3 p.m.